Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Gathering of Church 21. I'm so glad that you're with us. We are in the midst of doing a series on emotionally healthy spirituality. We're not making up this content. We're, we're heavily relying on, on a few books. One of them uh, is this, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, and then this accompanying Day by Day, which he wrote as well. And we're utilizing a lot of the content in here, but we're also uh, preaching through the Bible because that's what we do. This is kind of an unusual series for us because normally we go through books of the Bible or we're doing a, a topical study, but it's all found specifically in different texts. But here we're, we're saying, yes, there are biblical principles for these things. And yet we're also jumping outside of them to, to look at the grand scheme of what is emotionally healthy spirituality. And if we're supposed to be followers of Jesus, how are we supposed to be growing in our emotionally healthy spirituality? So it's, it's a bit of a unique series for us in that we're using this content, but it's been so beneficial. Um, for me, you know, we have a little chat box on the side, church21.online.church. And if, if this series has been beneficial for you so far, go ahead and put me in that chat box. And you're thinking like, this is kind of cheesy. Why are we doing this? Well, we want to engage with you. We want for you to be engaging uh, with us as we're preaching and working through this series. Uh, so you can go ahead and do that now. And if you don't, I just trust that you're saying me deep down on the, on the inside. But here we go. Uh, chapter four is where we're gonna be in, in the book. That's the content that we're working through. But the text that we're gonna be going through today in the Bible is found in Genesis 22. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And so we're gonna be there looking at a man named Abraham. I love to refer to him as Abe. And I like to write his name Abe because it's just easier. So if I go in between Abe or Abraham, uh, same guy, all right? But have you ever hit a wall? Have you ever hit a wall? And I don't mean physically. Uh, if you do that, you probably have anger issues, which this series is probably gonna help you with. But have you ever hit a wall? A wall in your relationship with other people. Maybe a wall in your vocation. You can't get to a certain level. Maybe a wall in a, in a physical goal that you have. You wanna run faster. You want to be able to lift more weight, but you just can't break a certain barrier. All of us together are experiencing a certain wall right now, aren't we? With COVID-19, it's put us in a place where we can't do certain things that we wanna do. And, and we've said, that's okay. This wall is supposedly a very good thing for us as a society. History will tell us whether that's right or not. But I'm sure you've hit a wall. But here's where it feels weird. When we talk about spirituality, when we talk about God, we probably shouldn't be thinking about hitting a wall with him. So have you ever hit a wall with God, and, and is this even possible? Is this something we should be praying for and asking for? Lord, would you please let me smash into the wall of you if that's what you want? Is this something that we should be asking him for? Well, in order to answer that, we have to ask, well, what is a wall? We have to define it. And defining a wall is a bit strange. It's like when someone asks someone who's married, how did you know that they were the one? And they give that weird answer of, well, you just know. And it's, it's weird, but that's kind of the only answer you can give. You just, you just know. And you know it when you hit a wall. You know it when you hit a wall with God. Listen to what Pete Scazzaro says. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. If you are gonna be a follower of God, it is not just all perma-smiles and thinking positively so that life will turn out positively. That's not it. That's a bad understanding of who God is and what he's done. In fact, if you were a follower of Jesus, you are gonna hit wall after wall after wall after wall. It's going to happen. And it's not something that's your fault. There are lots of things in, lives that, in our life that is our fault. But this isn't. We don't ever choose to smash into a wall. And in fact, a wall, and this is going to be hard to hear, the walls that we end up hitting and needing to figure out how we're going to journey through, these are actually gifts from God. They're actually gifts from God. And you might be thinking like, 
Why? Why and how are these gifts? And we'll talk about that in a little bit, why the wall is actually given. But what I wanna do this morning is I wanna talk to you about Abraham. I wanna tell you the story about Abraham and I'm gonna be very brief. His story spans from around Genesis, the end of Genesis 11, beginning of 12, to somewhere around Genesis 26, 27, somewhere, somewhere in there. But the story of Abraham is that Abraham begins out not being a follower of God. He, he worships some moon God, probably. Uh, he wasn't a God follower, but God chose him. He called him out of where he was. And he said, I want you to go to this new land. I'm calling you out of your place into a new land. And Abraham obeyed. He did it. He went there. And he didn't even know who this God was, but he was willing to listen and go wherever God wanted him to go. And God gave him this promise that he was going to make him a blessing to all of the nations through Abraham. He would be a blessing to all the nations. Now, that sounds really nice. Like when couples get married and they're young and vibrant and they say, may, may you have many children, may you be blessed, blah, 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 blah. Right, it makes so much sense. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense completely. But Abraham, here's the problem. Abraham was a 75-year-old man with a 65-year-old wife and they were barren. Now, they didn't have research to be able to figure out, was it, was it her fault? Was it his fault? Whose fault was it? Why wasn't this working? We didn't know. All we knew is that, all we know is that they were barren. They couldn't have children. This is a problem, especially when God says, I'm gonna make great nations out of you, barren couple. But these are the types of things that God likes to do. So when you look at your problem and you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to overcome that, this is the type of God that you're dealing with. A God who's able to look at barren people and be like, I can see your grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids. I know all their names. I, it's gonna be beautiful. And by the way, you're gonna bless all the nations in the world. It's gonna come through you. So what happens is 25 years later, Isaac is born. And Isaac means laughter. And it's because Abraham and Sarah, his wife, on two separate occasions had a good laugh at God over this. Like, yeah, right. There's no way that's gonna that's gonna happen. Sarah was past being able to have kids biologically, but it happens. Can you imagine waiting 25 years for a child? I'm like, maybe you're going through that struggle right now, month after month after month. It's disappointment. God is with you in that. God is with you in that. And God was with Abraham and Sarah in this, but it wasn't even a month to month thing because that was done. Like God overcame all of this. And 25 years later, Isaac, Isaac comes along, meaning laughter to remember the joy, the joy that God had brought through fulfilling his promise. But then, then Isaac begins to grow up and God comes to Abraham again as if that wasn't a wall enough, 25 years of waiting, God brings another wall into his life. And listen to this, Genesis 22, verses one and two. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Whew, this is a heavy text. I, I literally have a hard time closing my eyes and thinking about what this would be like for me. Thinking about what it would mean to bind one of my sons, put him on, on an altar to sacrifice him. Right, there are all kinds of strange questions that go up in our minds, but just going through with that, thinking it through, imagining it, that's, that's so difficult. So I can't imagine being Abraham. Can't imagine being Abraham. I'm gonna lose my only son. Are you gonna bring another, another Isaac along? What's this gonna look like? But I wanna get to that in a few minutes. The big idea though is that Abraham is experiencing this wall. He's experiencing this wall. So we're gonna get back to Abraham in a little bit. What I wanna do now is I wanna actually enter into some of the content that Pete has put together. And I wanna give context for the wall and why the intrusion of the wall is just so strange. And really there are six stages Pete identifies in his book. You can disagree with him on this, uh, but I think that they're very valid stages. Six stages of being a follower of Jesus. 
So I want to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, Stage one is having a life-changing awareness of God. It means that you understand, if you're in this stage right now, you understand that you are not God and that you need a rescuer. You understand that inside there is brokenness, there is sin, rebellion, that you are not the way that you are supposed to be and you believe that there's a God and that he wants a relationship with you and that that relationship is available through Jesus. And you say, yes, I want Jesus. And we'll give you an opportunity to do that in a little bit. But some of you are brand new followers of Jesus and you're in this stage and you're awakened to Jesus. It's like you didn't know. I mean, you knew about him, but you never knew him. And now you know him and everything is different. And there's radical change and there's new allegiance. I remember being a brand new follower of Jesus. He's the only one I wanted to talk about. You could not shut me up. I wanted to go to Bible studies every night. I wanted to talk to people about him. I wanted to pray. I, like, that's all I wanted to do. If you would have told me you have to go climb up into a, a tree, leave everything behind, and you, like, here's a Bible, and we'll send some people once in a while to talk to them, uh, that would have been bliss for me. This is stage one of being a follower of Jesus, that you have a new value, meaning, and purpose. I remember feeling right? The feelings being overwhelmed with the love of God at this stage. It's beautiful. It's so exciting. And one of the most frustrating things is when you're in this stage and a more mature Christian comes along and they're like, ah, it won't remain that way forever. It's like, you jerk. You jerk. Like, let the kid be a kid. Let them enjoy all of the fullness of what they're experiencing, the new things that they're learning. Like, yeah, I learned that a long time ago. It's like, shut up. It's not about that, right? Stage one is beautiful. Stage one is beautiful. Your life has just been ransomed. It's been bought. Your heart has been opened. It's beautiful. And then stage two is discipleship, where you learn what it means to really be a disciple. And you probably are saying, oh, I'm so new at this. You might be in a group and they're like, oh, do you want to pray? And you're like, I don't know how to pray. I'm new at this. I, I don't really understand. Am I supposed to say certain words a, a specific way? I just don't get it. I'm really new. You'll say that a lot if this is a stage you're in. I'm new at this. But this is when you're learning about God. You're learning to walk with him, spiritual disciplines of prayer and being in the word, and maybe fasting. You're learning about giving. You're learning about evangelism. You're learning all these things and they're becoming part of who you are. It's not, um, it's not just tasks that you're checking off a list. It's like, this is who I am. I'm learning to be a disciple. I'm, I'm growing. It's not just the little, the little sproutling. It's now it's growing into something bigger. And during this stage, I would say, you're mostly happy. You're just genuinely happy to be a disciple of Jesus. And then stage three comes along. Stage three is the active life. This is where you're growing still as a disciple, but you're understanding that it's not just about me. Yeah, I serve, I serve God, but I also serve others. It's not, you take responsibility for yourself and for others. You start to read books, not just for your, your own growth, but for the growth of, of others. You start doing things for other people. You take a responsibility that you didn't have before. And God is, it's like God is spreading through us. He's spreading through us. The virus of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is spreading through us into people who are followers of Jesus and those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. It's beautiful. And this is like the normal life. And this is where Abraham was. This is where he was at this time. He, he, was, he was changed. He had seen the impossible happen. He was living out the promises of God, saying, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you promised this thing. And now this little man is in my presence. And through him, all nations are going to be blessed. It's amazing. And then in the midst of that amazing, beautiful walk with God, stage four happens. And stage four is the wall. It's the wall. Now, what are indicators of the wall? What are indicators that you, this might be the stage where you're at right now? Do you feel like God is distant and absent? 
Now, it's not because you're not reading, you're not praying, you're not fasting, you're not engaging with him, you're not taking part of the church because that's, that's your fault, right? That's our fault. If we're not drawing near to him and we're feeling like he's distant and absent, well, there are obvious reasons for that. But if you're continuing to do these things, you're continuing to pursue him and seek after him and long for him, desire him, to want him more than anything else in the world. And he feels distant and absent. That's an indicator of the wall. Your normal spiritual disciplines aren't producing the same things that they normally produce. And I would say, if you're in that place, don't stop doing those things. Keep showing up, keep saying, God, though I'm not experiencing what I want right now or even what I desire, I want what you desire more, so I'm gonna keep showing up. Indicators of being at the wall, it feels like there's, there's no good feelings happening. Things could feel a bit dark. Now, this is really hard to hear, but this is a gift this is a gift. So how is this a gift? Well, here's what the wall does. When we hit the wall and we can't go through it, like we can't, we can't get through this thing right away with our own efforts, the wall then forces us inward. We can't depend on, on external things anymore because God wants to do an internal change, an internal work in us. And it's at the wall and journeying through the wall, that God uses this to transform our inner life. I don't know if you've ever had time where you've been laid up, you've been sick, maybe you had a surgery, and you just have time to think. And like, though you can't be doing external things, God is doing a deep internal work in you, or he's revealing things that are really messed up inside of us, that we're, we're anxious, we're having panic attacks because we can't be doing the things that we 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 feel we should be doing. Maybe you've been unemployed, isolated. We're all experiencing this at one level. Well, Abe, Abraham has hit this wall. And the wall is, I want you to give up your child. I want you to give me your child. I want you to give me back the thing that I lent to you. And parents, by the way, your kids are not yours. Like I get it. I, I get that, that they're yours in a sense, but you're called to steward them, to care for them, to help them uh, flourish, to thrive, and then to send them out. Not to hold on to, not to build your identity off of them or around them or on top of them. They're not yours to harm. They're not yours to, to cherish as my precious. These are gifts for you to steward. So Abraham is told, give up your child. Now, when we get to the wall, when we get to the wall, it's normal to reject it. No, Mm -mm. no way am I gonna do that. No way am I gonna go through this. No way am I gonna let that thing dominate me. No way am I stopping right now. No way. It's normal to reject and avoid the wall. Oh, I'll find a way around this. I'll go go over it. I'll go under it. Have you ever read that book, Going on a Bear Hunt? Going on a bear hunt, gonna catch a big one. It's a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a field, a swishy, swashy field or something. And then the tagline is, can't go under it, can't go over it, can't go around it, gotta go through it. Gotta go through it. This stage You can only go through the wall. Now, some of you are experiencing continual cul-de-sacs of immaturity. Why? Because God is putting walls that he wants to transform your inner person in front of you. And instead of going through it, you're trying to go around it. You're trying to go over it and go under it. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, you gotta go through it. You wanna look more like my son. You gotta go through it. And God is so great because we all get to walls and we're like, "Eh, not today, and we walk away. God is like, all right, all right. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He puts up with us. He doesn't just put up with us. He's, He's not embarrassed to be our God. But God will not let us go around. And he knows it's gonna hurt. 
like a, a parent who brings their child into surgery and they say, is it gonna hurt, mom? Yeah, it's gonna hurt. Am I gonna feel pain? Mm-hmm. But am I gonna get better? Yeah. Yeah, this is gonna be good for you. God is bringing us to journey through a wall for our good, for our good. This journey is gonna involve purging. Uh, St. John of the Cross um, in his book, Dark Night of the Soul. Um, I'd recommend the book to read. Uh, it's not one of those books that you're gonna agree with everything in the book, I'm sure. Um, it's, it's mystical at times, uh, it's a bit strange, um, but it's worth, it's worth a read. Not top book though. If you want one book to read, that would not be like the top book. But anyway, um, he, he explains the purging that happens. Listen to what he says. God is purging the soul, annihilating it, emptying it or consuming in it. Even as fire consumes the moldiness and the rust of metal, all the affections and imperfect habits, which it has contracted its whole life. These are deeply rooted in the substance of the soul. At the same time, it is God who is passively working here in the soul. God is purging old affections, who you used to be. He's, he's pulling these things out to make you more like him. Now, Jesus told the parable of the soils. He said, there's a farmer who went out and sowed seed and there are four different soils and only one of them was good soil. One of the soils, uh, it, it went in, it looked like it was growing. It looked like stage one, two, three. Oh, it looks good. But then, but then when, when the worries of the world come along, it, it choked it out and it proved to not be good seed or good soil. So this is gonna reveal what type of soil our heart really is. This is when, if you're not a, a real follower of, of Jesus, it's gonna become apparent because you're gonna go one of two ways. You're either gonna go toward Jesus or away from him. And Jesus keeps putting these in front of us because he wants to change us to be just like him. Now, the good news, there's good news in this. Sounds like this is just all bad. The good news is that God is in our midst the whole time. He's bringing us through this so that we are prepared to receive more of him. He's rewiring anti-God impulses in us to be for him and like him. He's rebending us. He's rebending us. I was reading about bending metals this past week and the temperatures it takes, it's like 500 degrees Celsius to 13 or 1500, I forget, degrees Celsius to bend or weld certain types of, of metals. I mean, that is painful. That's painful on the metal. Like there are parts in it that are dying so that it can be rebent. And this is what God is doing in us. There's death that's happening so that what is more true and eternal can replace it. Like, this is good work. This is good work. So when you view a wall, don't see it as, oh, God isn't for me. God doesn't love me. God is against me. It's not that, that he is for you. He loves you so much that he's taking you through this. And he's given you everything necessary to be able to journey through this wall. Listen to what um, Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection 
with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, these things happen by going through walls. There's no other way to get these things. There's no little device that the Lord just puts into us. He's like, upload now. He gives us his spirit and then the spirit gets to work. And the spirit is so good that he says, I, I'm gonna lead you into this wall. I'm gonna let you even not feel like I'm around anymore, though I am. I'm gonna let you feel that so that these things can start to take root in you and you, be, you begin to depend on me in a whole new way. Like this is great news, great news. Now, also good is that prior walls that you've gone through prep you for current ones. The things that you've gone through prep you for your present. Abe was prepped through the prior walls that he walked through. And so his response to this current wall is a bit baffling until you understand that Abe has gone through wall after wall after wall with God. And look at what happens. Abraham rose early in the morning. Remember, God just told him, go get your son, take him to the mountain, sacrifice him. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. Again, this is just hard to imagine. How could Abraham do this? But here's what we find out later on in scripture is that Abraham knew God. He didn't just know about God. Abraham knew God. Look at what the author of Hebrews says about Abraham. Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He considered as I'm about to plunge this knife into my son, God is going to resurrect my son. Abraham knew God comes through on all of his promises. Abraham lived out his faith he, he, he did what he believed. But what's important here is that Abraham didn't know everything about God. You see, our life, and in fact, our eternity is a continual exploration of who God is. That God doesn't just say, here it all is. He gives us enough to know him and to be in relationship with him and to know lots of, of parts and attributes of who he is but we don't know him completely in full yet. And for all of eternity, we're gonna be exploring with him as our teacher, who he is. It's amazing. But on this hill, on this hill, Abraham learned something new about God. It's the first time that we have this name of God in the Bible. So let me read these four verses from Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord called to him. Remember, he's about to plunge the knife in and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now this, this name, the Lord will provide. It's what Abraham called the place, but that's, this is a name, the Lord as well. And that name is Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. He's understanding more about who God is. Not only did you provide my son, but you provided a way for my son to not have to be sacrificed. You provided a way for me not to have to go through this action that you called me to. The Lord knew what he was doing. 
Did the Lord want him to kill his son? No. Did the Lord want to obey? Did the Lord want for Abraham to obey him? Yeah. Yeah. Give me your son. Are you willing to give me your son? Are you willing to give me whatever it is I'm asking? Is there something you're holding back that you know the Lord wants for you to give it to him? And that's gonna be a wall that you have to journey through with him that you're resisting. Because if you're resisting, you don't know what's on the other side of that wall. When Abraham went through that, look what he finds out. That the Lord, the God is a, is a God who provides. And this is like knowing this about God versus knowing God as this. Do you get the difference? If you know this about God, it's like you read a book where you found this name. Oh yeah, this is what this name means. But when you live it out and God provides for you, this is what sticks. This is what causes us to go out excited to explain to people that haven't gone through this yet that God is gonna provide. Let me share you, with you my story of how God provided Right? We, we leave as witnesses, ready to demonstrate, declare the goodness of who God is. And it's when we get through the wall that we get to stage five. And let me say this, we don't know how long the wall is gonna be. It could be a momentary thing. It could be a day, it could be a week, it could be years. And there might be multiple walls at the same time. But this wall is a gift. And the Lord wants for us to journey through the wall with him, with him. And it's our entrance into stage five. And stage five is our journey outward where we begin again. But it's like we've, we've been reawakened. It's kind of like stage one all over again, except it's much deeper. There's more depth. There's a profoundness to our walk with him. It's like you're probably going to end up doing the same things, but you won't do them the same way. You can't anymore. It's like, you know too much. You've experienced too much. You can't live the same. And so we speak and we live with conviction instead of wondering, oh, is this what I'm supposed to be thinking or saying or doing? We say, oh yeah, of course, this is what I need to be doing because I met God in this wall. And I know this to be true about him. And let me show you what he is like. And then stage six, this is the final stage, is this continual transformation. This continual transformation that God is doing in our lives. And, and Pete Scazzaro identifies four characteristics of this stage. I think they're helpful. So I'm gonna list them all here. Uh, and the first one is that there's a, a deeper level of brokenness. There's a deeper, deeper level of brokenness. You understand what it means to be poor in spirit. You're not looking around at people anymore saying like, ah, I'm so much better than you. I, I understand the Bible. I pray. I, I, I do this. I, I talk to people about Jesus. I give. You're not looking at people anymore like that. If someone were to come up to you and say, who's the worst sinner of them all? You would say me, me. You don't understand what goes on in my heart. You don't understand that the level, and I don't even understand it. You don't understand how poor in spirit I really am. You learn that you're a recipient. You don't bring things to the table of God. You receive from the table of God. And you say with Paul in great humility, I'm the worst of all sinners. There's a deeper level of brokenness. The second thing that happens is that there's a greater appreciation for holy unknowing. For holy unknowing. Just not not having all the ideas of where you're actually going and being okay with that. How many of you are okay with that? Not many of us. We like to know where we're going. Our kids love to know where we're going, but so do we. Listen to what Augustine says. If you understand, if you understand, it is not God you understand. <laughs> what you're walking through right now, if you completely understand everything that's going on, it's like, ah, that's your plan. Like I get that plans are good and nice and wonderful and they're helpful. But if you get all of how all the moving parts are working, it's not God. It's not God because there are so many pieces that you don't know. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah tells us. These are God's words through Isaiah. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You think you're pretty smart? You think your IQ is high? You're impressed with all your degrees? Put Isaiah 55, eight and nine over all those things. Go ahead, put it on a post-it note, put it over your IQ score. Put it over your PhDs. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. That when we go through the wall and we allow for the Lord to continue to transform us, we can be like kids that get in dad's car. I love it when my kids get in the car and they don't ask where we're going. They just get in. That doesn't usually happen, but it's beautiful when it does because there's just a trust. Or when we tell them, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. When we get there, you'll know. Okay. It takes going through the wall to get to that place where these things start to happen. The third thing, third characteristic of this continual transformation is a deeper ability to wait for God. How many of you are awesome at waiting? Yeah, that's what I thought. I got no answer from anyone. Deeper ability to wait for God. It's hard to wait, isn't it? Waiting is an, is an active thing that we're not supposed to just sit on the couch and just wait. We, we get on with life, we, we do things, but in the back of our mind, we, we can't wait for God to do a certain thing. Like we're excited about it. And that excitement shouldn't go away, but that we don't build our whole lives around God doing that one thing. Listen to Psalm uh, 130, five and six. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. So we're waiting for the Lord. It's this idea of releasing control. Do you just release control? You know, I don't, I don't have any control over this. If you think you do, you're under an illusion. You're delusional in a sense. You don't have control. It's going through a wall that helps you to be able to wait for God. And the last characteristic of this continual transformation is that there is a, a greater detachment and what I don't mean is that you're aloof. You're not engaged with real things. That's not it. But that you no longer need the same things. Remember the things you used to need? Oh, I need to have that newest technology. Oh, I need to have that job. Oh, I need to have that car. I need to have that status. I need to have a spouse. I need to have kids. I need to get this promotion. I need, right? Always, I need. And, and our heart begins to sing Psalm 42. I am satisfied with you. I am satisfied with you as a deer pants for water. So my soul thirsts for you. I need you. Take it all away. There's a beautiful song by Fernando Ortega. I believe that's who wrote it. Give me Jesus. And he says, you can have this whole world, but give me Jesus. You can't get to that place without walking through the wall. You can't get to this place without losing some of these things where you say, I'm parched for you. I, I'm parched for you. I need you. You can't get around it. You can't get around this wall, no matter how much you want to. In fact, not even Jesus could get around the wall that was put in front of him. Let me end with him. We end our time by focusing in on, on Jesus. See, the promise of blessing to the nations that was made to Abraham was fulfilled about 2,000 years after it was proclaimed, declared. It's a long time. It's a long time to be waiting for a promise. It makes the promises I make to my kids seem really, really short though. So kids, pay attention, right? God makes long promises, but his promises are the best. And so about 2,000 years after the promises made to Abraham, we see this in Matthew. First book and ch chapter verse of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Jesus wasn't the son of Abraham in the sense that he, Abraham was his dad, but he was from the lineage of Abraham and he was from the lineage of David. And this promise to bless the nations began right here. 
when Jesus came, Jesus would be the one that the blessing would go through. And Jesus came to save people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. And do you know how he came to save us? By him not being saved. Jesus came to save us by not being saved himself. You see, Jesus went to the wall of the cross for us. You gotta see this. And what I wanna do is I wanna juxtapose two passages real quick. I wanna go back into Genesis 22 and then I wanna take you to the garden quickly. Genesis 22, during this account, as Isaac is watching his dad put together this whole little altar, Isaac says, my father, and he says, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Great question. Abraham obviously didn't unpack how this was gonna work for Isaac before they got there. He probably wouldn't have gone on the journey. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, so they went, both of them together. Look at this. Abraham, Isaac cries out, my father and Abraham says, here I am, my son. He answers him. Well, look at the garden. Jesus went further and he fell on his face and prayed. This is right before he was to go to the cross. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What was a cup? It was the wrath of God that was going to be poured out onto Jesus. The wrath of God against rebellion. The wrath of God against those of us who have sinned against him. Who've gone against his, his perfect decrees. For those of us who are bent, which all of us are, this cup was for us. And what Jesus did is he went to the cross for us to take this cup and to drink it so that you and I never have to. But Jesus in the garden says, my father, if it's possible, let it pass from me. And do you know what he got? Silence. There was no answer. God the father never answers Jesus back. Abraham says, here I am. Jesus was unanswered by God so that you and I will always be answered by God. You see, and on the cross, Jesus also cries out to no avail. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross experienced an eternal wall, an eternal wall. He experienced separation so that you and I never have to. Do you get this? Don't let this just be like, mm, yeah, that's, that's good. Let this get into your bones. Let this excite you. Let this move you. Such a place that you're like, I can't believe that Jesus did this. This is great news. Who needs to hear about this? Let this take you back into stage one, right? Let it bring you back into that excitement, except it would be stage five where it's this, this continued growth in this. Allow for this good news to overwhelm you. That Jesus experienced eternal separation on the cross and made payment for our rebellion. And then, and then he conquers death. He beats death. The only one to do it. He gets up out of the grave and he offers a rewriting to our stories. There's a different ending than the one that we think has to be there. Uh, it just ends in death and then who knows what happens. No, 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 it ends in life. If you want it, it ends in life and it ends in life eternal before God in his presence, face to face, enjoying him with an eternal value, meaning and purpose forever. You see, Jesus removed the wall that was between us and God. There's access available now. And he says, if, if you receive this, you become a child of God. I listened to a sermon this past week and it was on Romans 8:33. And God says, "No one better dare bring a charge against my kids. The kids that my son Jesus died for to purchase, to redeem, to rescue, to save, to forgive, no one can bring a charge against them." So if God is saying no one can bring a charge against them, then you can't even bring a charge against yourself. God has said, if you have received what Jesus has done for you, that you are forgiven. You are a child. You are brought in. You are loved. And let him take your wall. 
Let him take your wall. I am not sufficient to handle this in this moment. God, you need to take it because I can't do it. Let him take your wall. Let him be in your midst right now. Invite him into the hard, nitty gritty things of life that you don't know how to get through because he wants to be there. Everyone gets awkward when things go, get hard. They're like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond. I don't, so sometimes they just don't. And God says, invite me in. Invite me into your sin. Invite me into your mess. Invite me into your brokenness because I will save you. I'll rescue you. I'll make you my kid and I will transform you to be like my son. You see, despite the darkness, despite what you see, despite what you feel, he is never going to leave you. And every wall that you come up against, he's gonna be there to walk with you through it. He's never going to bail out on you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to leave you hanging. He's never going to say, no, we're actually not friends. He loves you with an immeasurable, never giving up, never ending, never stopping, irrefusable love. Even when you say, I'm not sure that I love you anymore. He says, I can't be more sure that I love you with all my heart. You are so loved by the Father. So what is your wall today? What is your wall today? Maybe you're watching this and you're saying, I have never asked Jesus to forgive me of all my, my rebellion and sin. And I need to do that today. That is my wall because I need to be in relationship with him. I need to enter into stage one. Right now you can say, Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me of all my sin, all my rebellion. I want in on your family for eternity. If you pray that and you mean that with your heart, then you are a part of the people of God. You are part of his family. You are forgiven and his spirit is now given to you. Now I would love for you to indicate that now. We have, um, we're gonna put up a little thing in the chat that you can click and you say, I committed my life to Jesus, first time thing. And that will take you to a little video that will point you to some resources um, where you can keep growing and we want to connect with you. So let us know that. But if you're a follower of Jesus already, what is your wall? What is your wall? Are you letting Jesus change it? Maybe right now you're not at a wall, but it's coming. Or you've gone to the wall and you've pulled back. You're like, I know that I need to go through that. I know that that's, that that's something that God wants for me to change me. Well, will you let the Lord change you? Are you finding yourself saying, Lord, change me however you want. Whatever you need to bring, whatever wall, however high, whatever you need to do, I want it because I want you more than I want anything that I'm holding on to. And if you need to strip everything away for me to be able to get you, then I want that. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary, isn't it? But would you pray that? Would you pray it right now? Would you put me in the chat box again, indicating that, that I'm praying that, Lord, you do whatever you need to do. Whatever you want to take away, I'm in. Because I want you more than anything that I would hold on to in this world. If you find yourself wanting to manage, to control, or not trust him, you're not letting him do the work at the wall that he wants to do. You see, he wants to root these things out today. So would you let him start? Would you let him start? Do you see all the beautiful things that he wants to do in you? We went through them this morning. He wants to do all these beautiful things, but it's gonna be hard. It's like a continual transfusion of you losing, not who you are as a person, but your anti-God impulses. He's taking these out and he's rewiring you and putting his blood, his blood into you. Would you let him start that today? Would you say, Lord, I, I want you to do whatever work you need to do at the wall. I'm ready because I want you. And we're gonna respond. We're gonna respond. I know for some of you, this is really heavy because you're there and you see all the things coming out and you feel like God is, is distant, that God is not with you. you. You feel this. But what we need to do during this time is what is most true? God is not distant. God is not far. God is in your midst. 
So would you let him do the work that he wants to do? If you need prayer, we have live prayer. Would you click on the live prayer button? Uh, we're gonna sing this morning. Maybe, maybe you're not ready to sing, but don't just click off. Content's not done. The Lord wants to keep working. We respond now. So maybe you need to sit on your couch. You need to close your eyes. You need to say, I receive these songs. I receive these, these words that are being sung as being for me. We also give. You're made the steward of, of all things. God has stewarded you with resources. He's given you all the money that you have. You didn't earn one bit of that. All of it is from God. And so God wants you to be generous. And one of the ways that we're generous is that we give to our local church so that pastors who are caring for your soul and praying and being the word can, can eat, have food on their table and can be housed. And so that the mission of God can be going forward, that we can be taking care of people in the city and around the world. And so would you give? There's a, there's a give button um, in our chat and at the top of our online platform as well. And maybe the spirit is saying something significant to you today. And if the spirit is, is pressing something on your heart and you're like, oh, I need to share this, uh, you can click that live prayer button and someone will engage with you and you can say, I really sense the spirit saying this today. We would love to, to hear from you in that. And if you gave your life to Jesus, just a reminder, click on that. I committed my life. Watch the video and, and begin in this stage one journey. Ah, oh, it's so exciting to think that people are doing that. So let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are, you are wherever we are because you've placed us there. We didn't place ourselves here. Thank you, Lord, that you will never bail on us. You're never gonna take off. You're never going, we're never gonna be too much for you. You're never embarrassed by us. That, that's outstanding and it astounds me. That you're not embarrassed by us. You're not embarrassed to be called our God. We are not all put together. We have not journeyed through the wall and are continually being transformed perfectly. Um, some of the things we do are just dumb. And yet you say, those are my kids. I love them so much. Thank you for what you've done for us in sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came and lived that perfect life and died for us and you're alive and active and moving. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in us and you're changing us to be just like Jesus. Help us to respond with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength this morning. We love you and we need you for everything. Amen.